Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Thursday, April 20th, 2023. Uh, today in history, on April 20th, 1752, a small battle south of the city or uh, village of the time uh, called Shwebo marked the start of the Konbaung Hanthawadi War, which helped to consolidate the modern nation of Myanmar or Burma, if you prefer. An army, and I put that in quotes because it was around 40 men uh, belonging to the nascent Kongbaun dynasty uh, under the founder of that dynasty, a man named uh, Alangpaya, defeated a small military unit detached by the uh, southern Hanthawadi kingdom to pacify the region. The war ended with a compound victory that reunited upper and lower or northern and southern Burma or Myanmar, take your pick, under a Bamar ruling family and marked the final time that the Mon people of southern Myanmar would try to establish an independent state. Uh, on April 20th, 1792, the French Assembly declared war against the Habsburgs, kicking off nearly 10 years of conflict, sometimes called the French Revolutionary Wars. This conflict is perhaps more properly broken into the wars of the First Coalition, 1792 to 1797, and the War of the Second Coalition, 1798 to 1802 referring to the international alliances that were arrayed against the French First Republic. The Republic emerged victorious from both, of course. Uh, these wars are distinguished from the five subsequent coalition wars uh, from 1805 to 1815, thanks to none other than Napoleon, who brought the Republic to an end with his coronation as emperor in 1804. Uh, on to the news. Uh, climate models are reportedly predicting the return of El Nino after a three-year La Nina interlude, which means that 2023 is likely to set some new record high temperatures around the world. In fact, it already is. Uh, we mentioned earlier this week the record heat wave in much of Asia right now. Uh, the phenomenon helped to make 2016 the hottest year on record, El Nino, by the, uh, by which I mean El Nino. Uh, but with seven more years' worth of carbon in the atmosphere, it's a reasonable bet that 2023 could match or exceed that standard. A strong El Nino may actually develop by the end of the year, which would then set 2024 up to break some new records again. Very exciting, all these new records that were breaking. It's going to be great. Uh, on a completely unrelated note, a new study published in the journal Earth System Science Data finds that the Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets are currently losing ice at three times the annual rate they were losing it 30 years ago. From 1992 to 1996, those sheets lost some 116 billion tons of ice, uh, whereas between 2017 and 2020, they lost some 410 billion tons. Most of that increase came from Greenland, Melting has actually apparently slowed a little bit in Antarctica, but this does not appear to be a durable trend, sadly. Uh, needless to say, this is certainly not a sustainable level of melting. On to the Middle East. In Yemen, the United Nations has reached agreement with a Dutch firm called SMIT Salvage. Uh, maybe it's Smith Salvage, but they're on all caps, so I assume it's a, an acronym. To retrieve the estimated 1.1 million barrels of oil currently sitting in the hold of the decaying tanker FSO Safer off of Yemen's Red Sea coast. This is a major step forward in the operation to recover that oil and avert a potential environmental catastrophe. The Safer, or Safer, as we've noted in this newsletter previously, has been stranded in the Red Sea since the start of Yemen's civil war and has for several years now been considered a critical risk due to the likelihood of a hull breach. This news follows last month's announcement that the UN had acquired a tanker large enough to hold the oil once it is pumped off of the decaying ship. 
The UN says it still needs another $29 million to pay for the salvage operation, which it's hoping to receive via a donor conference on May 4th for no particular reason. I feel like noting here that next year's Pentagon budget is going to be at least $842 billion. Just throwing that out there. Uh, in Israel-Palestine, Israeli Foreign Minister Eli Cohen headed to Turkmenistan on two, uh, Thursday to open Israel's brand new embassy in Ashgabat. This is something we mentioned earlier in the week. Although Israel already has an ambassador to Turkmenistan, the establishment of a full-fledged embassy is a significant development, at least insofar as Turkmenistan borders Iran and thus has strategic value for the Israeli government. Speaking of Iran, the Iranian Navy claims that it forced a U.S. submarine to surface after it maneuvered into Iranian waters in the Strait of Hormuz on Thursday. The U.S. Fifth Fleet called that claim, quote-unquote, disinformation and insisted that no U.S. sub has, quote, transited the Strait of Hormuz today or recently, end quote. Uh, that said, the cruise missile sub USS Florida is known to be attached to the Fifth Fleet at present, so it's not inconceivable. Uh, in Asia and Pakistan, the Pakistani government says it has decided to purchase heavily discounted Russian crude oil with an initial shipment scheduled to arrive next month and more likely to come after that. The deal provides economically strapped Pakistan with a source of badly needed cheap fuel and Moscow with another badly needed customer. It's unclear how steep the discount is, so it is unknown whether the, de the, whether the deal violates the $60 per barrel price cap that Western governments have imposed on Russian oil sales, but that they have yet to actually enforce as far as I can tell. Uh, it does seem clear that Russia has undercut Saudi Arabia, which is Pakistan's current primary oil supplier. That's an interesting twist potentially on this transaction. Something that might also be worth watching is the currency Pakistan uses to pay for this Russian product. U.S. dollars are certainly out since Pakistan has few of them and Russia can't use them anyway. Uh, in India, the Indian military says the Kashmiri militants ambushed a unit of soldiers near the line of control with Pakistan on Thursday, killing five of them. A sixth soldier was wounded apparently severely. Uh, in Cambodia, Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen promoted his son and army commander Hun Manet to four-star general on Thursday, so that's nice. It's always cool to see a dad encouraging his son like this. Uh, well, technically, I mean, technically it was the, the king of Cambodia, Norodom uh, Sihamuni, uh, who made the pro uh, Sihamuni, excuse me, who made the promotion. But, uh, you know, things function in Cambodia. The, the king is, is basically a formality. Uh, Hun Sen, it was Hun Sen's decision uh, to promote his, his kid here. Uh, the 71-year-old Hun Sen, as we mentioned, as I mentioned last month in the newsletter, has been hinting at retirement, potentially in the very near future. And he has never made much secret about his intention that Hun Manet succeed him as prime minister. The promotion more or less gilds. Hun Manet's resume ahead of that eventual succession, assuming that it does, in fact, take place. In the Philippines, the Communist Party of the Philippines on Thursday announced, and Philippine officials have apparently confirmed, that CPP leaders Benito and Wilma Tiamzon were killed by the Philippine military in August. The party is claiming that the Tiamzons, who allegedly led the CPP's New People's Army militant wing, were arrested along with eight other people in Samar province and that Philippine authorities subsequently tortured and executed them. A Philippine army spokesperson claimed instead that the 10 people in question engaged in a firefight with Philippine forces at sea off the Samar coast and were killed in that engagement, which was all very simple and believable. Uh, on to Africa. In Sudan, uh, from what I can piece together, the ceasefire that was supposed to go into effect at Sudan at 6 p.m. on Wednesday local time did eventually take partial hold, albeit certainly not on time. 
uh, as of yesterday's newsletter, I had not seen any indication that it had actually gone into effect. Uh, it did apparently take partial hold. Uh, what turned out, it turned out to be more of, I would say, an extended lull from what I can tell than a full-fledged cessation of hostilities. Uh, but it did give civilians in, in the country's main conflict zone, which is uh, at this point the capital, Khartoum, and its sister cities, Bahri and Omdurman, uh, and an opportunity to flee the worst of the fighting. Uh, heavy fighting has since resumed with seemingly no end in sight as both military commander Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and rapid support forces boss Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo have uh, told Al Jazeera, for one outlet at least, that they have no intention of negotiating with one another. Uh, multiple countries and the UN have called for a three-day Eid ceasefire. I guess this is a good time to say Eid Mubarak to those of you who are celebrating. I should have done that at the beginning of the newsletter. Apologies. Uh, but Eid is uh, scheduled to begin on Friday and to continue for three days after that. Uh, but while both men, Burhan and Dagalo, have said that they would be receptive to the idea of an Eid ceasefire, I see no indication that either one is actually planning on doing it. The latest casualty count from the World Health Organization puts the death toll at 330 with more than uh, 3,200 people wounded. Getting a handle on the contours of the fighting has been challenging, but from what I've been able to glean, the RSF's initial attacks on Saturday were primarily directed at Sudanese air bases in an attempt to neutralize the military's biggest battlefield edge, its air power. Those attacks did not knock the military's air power out of the fight. Uh, they did, were at best partially successful. So the RSF seems to be concentrating its fight now in urban areas, hence the heavy fighting in Khartoum and its environs, and in Darfur, where the paramilitary unit can rely on support from the notorious Janjaweed tribal network, whence it was formed during the Darfur conflict. The RSF doesn't have the military's capabilities, but it does have substantial manpower and the ability to mobilize more fighters in Darfur. Burhan and Degalo each have their own kind of separate international support networks. This is part of what contributed to their eventual falling out, but it also uh, remains to be seen if any of those foreign backers are going to intervene overtly, directly in the conflict to help their guy win. Uh, I don't think we've seen any of that so far. Uh, the U.S. has deployed additional military forces reportedly to Djibouti. Ostensibly, they are preparing for a possible operation to evacuate U.S. diplomatic personnel from Sudan, not to intervene in the fighting. In Tunisia, a Tunisian, a Tunisian court on Thursday ordered a Nahda party leader, Rashid Ganouchi, jailed until he uh, faces trial on incitement charges. Ganouchi was arrested earlier this week after suggesting, seemingly more factually than aspirationally, that Tunisia is heading towards civil war thanks to President Kais Saied's, uh, Saied's monopol monopolization of power and his systematic imprisonment of political opponents. Saeed's control over every level of authority uh, meant that this ruling on Thursday was never really in doubt, nor will the eventual outcome of the trial, I would assume, not to cast any aspersions on Saeed personally or his uh, the government that he's running. Uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the Allied Democratic Forces militia is believed to have been responsible for an attack on a village in the eastern DRC's North Kivu province on Wednesday that left at least 20 people dead. A number of people are still missing, and while at least some of them were abducted, the potential is there for the death toll to rise. In Europe, in Russia, a large explosion in the Russian city of Belgorod on Thursday was caused, according to the TASS news agency, by, quote, an accidental discharge of aviation ammunition, end quote. That is quite a euphemism 
from a Russian Suhoi Su-34 military jet. Details beyond that are unknown except to say that at least two people were injured in the explosion. Belgorod is located close enough to Ukraine that the blast initially caused some speculation about a possible Ukrainian attack. Speaking of Ukraine, UN NATO Secretary or NATO, excuse me, Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg visited on Thursday, where he and President Volodymyr Zelensky amazingly still agreed that Ukraine should join NATO in spite of you know everything that's happened over the past year and a half. I guess it's important to stick to your principles, uh, so they got that going for them. In fairness, Zelensky seemed more interested in getting Stoltenberg's help in convincing NATO members to send long-range artillery ammunition to Ukraine. So maybe he led with NATO. NATO membership as a sort of opening negotiating gambit. I don't know. Uh, the U.S. and other Western nations have, of course, been reluctant to give Ukraine their longest range ammo for fear that the Ukrainians will use it to strike targets well inside Russia and thereby risk escalating the war. Uh, the Washington Post reported on Thursday that a document in the Great Discord leak reveals a Ukrainian plan to organize attacks on Russian military personnel in Syria, apparently using Syrian Democratic Forces proxies. Uh, I don't have much of a problem believing that this is something the Ukrainians considered, but I can't imagine they'd have the capability to pull it off, uh, given how pressed they are in their own country, nor can I fathom why the SDF would be inter interested in assisting when their fight is with Turkey, not Russia. Uh, an SDF spokesperson denied that the group considered participating in such an operation, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, they would probably deny it either way, but who knows? Uh, and the Hungarian government on Thursday extended its ban on Ukrainian grain imports to cover other goods, including honey and certain meat products. That is a quote. That is a wonderful quote. Certain meat products from Reuters. Uh, I couldn't couldn't come up with a better way to put that than than using their language. Anyway, Budapest is trying to pressure the European Union into expanding its emergency aid program for farmers who have seen prices for agricultural goods plummet due to the influx of Ukrainian exports onto the European market. So far, the EU is offering assistance for producers of four agricultural products, but several Eastern European states, not just Hungary, several others in addition to Hungary, are demanding that the EU broaden that list. In Spain... Uh, there's a new survey from the Center for Sociological Studies that suggests that the ruling Socialist Party is losing some of its electoral juice heading into a general election sometime later this year, has to be by December, uh, according to, uh, uh, I think December 10th uh, is the date, uh, the final date that it could be held. The poll puts the Socialists at 30.4% support, which is down from 32.7% last month. Uh, with the Conservative People's Party at 26.1% support in second place. This is actually a fairly good poll for the Socialists, whose support has fallen behind the People's Party in several other recent surveys. Particulars aside, however, most polling suggests a relatively straightforward path to a Socialist-led coalition government that would include two further left parties, Podemos, which is currently in uh, the coalition with the Socialists, and a new party called Sumar, a new left-of-center party called Sumar. So uh, it seems more likely that the Socialists would be in position to form a government than the People's Party, no matter how their one-on-one uh, -on -one battle shakes out. In the Americas, in Chile, uh, Chilean President Gabriel Boric announced on Thursday that he intends to nationalize Chile's lithium sector and will form a state-owned company for that purpose. 
Chile has one of the world's largest known reserves of lithium, which is, of course, crucial for manufacturing batteries, and is currently currently the second largest producer of the metal after Australia. Uh, he may have a difficult time getting this idea past the Chilean Congress, where he's had mixed success in general since taking office. Uh, but if he does, and the uh, uh, local intelligence agencies start to take an interest on behalf of our uh, many high-tech companies, uh, well, you heard it here first, I guess. Uh, I'm not saying anything, not not implying that anything bad is going to happen or nefarious, uh, just, you know, something to watch. Uh, in the United States, moving on, in the United States, the Biden administration on Thursday repatriated an Algerian national who'd been imprisoned at Guantanamo Bay without charges since 2002. He is now in the custody of Algerian authorities. Uh, this leaves 30 people still detained at Guantanamo, 16 of whom are currently considered eligible for transfer. The administration has nodded in the direction of closing the notorious Guantanamo Bay facility, but has not made that a priority. And finally, Luke Savage at Jacobin highlights a new Institute for Policy Studies report that attempts to put the U.S. military budget into some perspective. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs here. The Pentagon's bloated and ever-expanding budget undermines American democracy, not only because it never receives the same scrutiny as other government spending, but because it ultimately funnels so much money away from essential social and public goods, as a new report released by the Institute for Policy Studies makes vividly clear. Published annually on tax day in collaboration with the National Priorities Project, the the Institute's analysis examines Americans' income taxes in relation to military and security spending to show just how much of the average person's tax bill is going to the likes of cluster bombs rather than hospitals or schools. Its findings are staggering. This year, the average American taxpayer paid $1,087 just for Pentagon contractors alone, a sum representing 21 days of work for the average person and four times what they contributed to K-12 through education, $270. They also paid approximately $74 for the maintenance of nuclear weapons, while just $43 went to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. An average taxpayer gave $298 to the five largest military contractors, while only $19 went to programs concerned with mental health and substance abuse. Lockheed Martin, incidentally a major air polluter, received $106 from the average person's income tax contribution, while a mere $6 went to renewable energy. Uh, the Institute has long tracked the wider goal of spending related to domestic po policing and securitization. Here, the numbers are no less striking. $20 per taxpayer for federal prisons and just $11 for anti-homeless programs, 70 anti-homelessness programs, excuse me, $70 for deportation to border control versus just $19 for refugee assistance, and on and on it goes. Uh, priorities. We've got our priorities in a certain alignment. I won't say we've got them in line but we do have them in a certain alignment. Uh, on that note, thanks all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. Uh, again, Eid Mubarak to anybody who is celebrating. Uh, hope you have a great, great holiday. And um, uh, thanks to those of you who are subscribed to foreign exchanges, especially those of you who are paid subscribers. If you are not a paid subscriber to foreign exchanges, please consider it uh, because you guys, it's, it's these paid subscribers who make this newsletter possible. Uh, and on that note, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.